1: Hi everyone, it's Katie, Buildup's Manager of Global Operations. This week on the Nonprofit Buildup, Nick is speaking with Doug Nelson, President and Managing Director of Discovery Group, a boutique consulting company working with orgs on issues related to governance, planning, and execution, and a vision to bring together a group of talented and compassionate leaders. Doug is not only a leader, he is also award-winning in the areas of governance, culture, advocacy, and innovative granting, And he has raised nearly $1 billion for organizations in Canada and the United States. And with that, here is Nick's conversation with Doug Nelson.
0: Hi, Doug. Welcome to the
2: Nonprofit Buildup. I am so excited for our conversation.
3: Well, Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to it, too.
2: To get us started, can you tell us about the Discovery Group, what you do there, and what are your immediate priorities particularly given the environment in which we find ourselves today.
3: Great. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. The Discovery Group, we are a national boutique consulting company based in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We work with organizations primarily in Canada, but also in the United States and around the world on issues and related to governance planning, and execution. So we spend a lot of our times with CEOs, heads of philanthropy, and members of boards trying to help organizations unstick from the problems that they may be facing. And our favorite work is helping organizations to seize the opportunities in front of them. We say that we help organizations be exceptional, and that looks different for every organization at every stage of its development. And what I do here, I get to benefit from the expertise of a great team that's really committed to the work and committed to the sector. And here we, at the Discovery Group, we focus a lot on the phrase, we get to work with our clients to help them do what they think is most important.
2: All right. So I want to ask some questions about how you mentioned planning and execution, Mm-hmm. I think those two don't always go together. So I'd love to hear your work around planning and execution to unstick certain organizations from their problems.
3: Right. Well, I'm sure you've seen this. I, in fact, I know you've seen this in your work. The organizations that say, well, let's imagine a future where everything we do is effective. Let's let's blue sky, well, let's have our big ambition, and let's build a plan on how we're going to get there. And there's a lot of value in imagining what is possible. I think it's really critical for organizations, particularly organizations that are well-established, that may have fallen into a rut or fallen into some tough times, to imagine being in a better place. That future casting, let's look ahead and then work back to how we make that future a reality. Really critically important. What we find is a lot of organizations, not a lot, but many organizations get stuck in that, okay, this is the future we're going to, and then that's what they do at the planning retreat on the weekend. That's what they do in the planning sessions over the course of a couple months during strategic planning or even annual planning. But then when they get back to the office that next Tuesday at 10.38 in the morning, and they wonder, well, what's the next step I need to take to move in that direction? And we find that leaders and their teams often just don't know what that next step is. And so if you build a plan that's based entirely on that future casting ideal world you're seeking to create for your organization and the role your organization's going to play in pursuit of mission, very valuable, but it needs to be paired with a conversation, a very clear-eyed conversation about our capacity today and how we're going to build our organization up to be able to meet that ideal future state. And if you separate those things, as we often do in the sector, we see the boards imagining the blue sky picture with the CEO and the team going off and doing the blue sky picture, the founder off doing, and then coming back and saying, this is what we're doing. And that those managers, director levels, vice presidents that are charged with implementing that vision didn't have input into the current capacity. Reality isn't factored in. And so you just a lot of frustration, things don't work. Those early wins don't happen, and the plan starts to gather dust, and the CEO typically ends up updating her or his resume.
2: Very true. I I agree with that. And I think that a lot of plans, you can see them sort of go. off the rails at implementation or they just don't even get going at all. So I like that you're, you're peering in and being really thoughtful about planning, making sure that implementation is part of that planning. So when you talked about working with organizations, Doug, who do you actually work with? What kinds of organizations do you work? Only with grant makers, for example? Are you working with organizations that are engaging direct service? Is it a combination? We just love to hear more about the kinds yeah. of organizations that you spend your time with.
3: Our work is primarily in we call it the social profit sector, but in the charitable sector, organizations that are raising money and granting is where a large part of our business is. Health foundations, hospital foundations. We do a lot of work with post secondary institutions colleges and universities, as well as some direct service delivery organizations, international development organizations, as well as some social service organizations. I find there is such a tremendous advantage in working across the sector with different kinds of organizations because good ideas are good ideas in a lot of organizations and great leaders, meaning our clients, are able to translate the learnings from a different sector that they may not be paying attention to, that we can maybe bring to the table into something that's going to be meaningful and actionable for their organization. So we feel it's really important to have that diversity and tends to be medium to large size organizations that are raising and granting money.
2: That's a really good picture into the kind of organizations that you're working with. And I know we talked about the planning and execution work that you're doing, and I'd love to pivot into the governance work Mm. that you spend your time on and the kinds of questions that you're seeing there. What kinds of issues are boards coming to you with, organizations coming to you with around governance, their board composition, their governance structures?
3: you know i these are the conversations that i just hope come into my inbox or over through my phone every day you know we're two years into the pandemic and people trying to make sense of the world around them and the role that their mission serves in this new world and some organizations have managed it quite well their revenues are up the percentage of time they're spending at purpose in advancing their mission remains high or is even higher than it was before the pandemic so that's certainly not the case for all organizations. So whether an organization is doing well or not, board engagement is a huge issue. If we used to have individuals coming around the board table, it was social, it was part of professional networking to get to hang out with the other cool kids who care about this thing and spend time and are going to spend, put their own energy into it. People get a lot of energy around being around in that shared space. We just haven't had that. And what's almost worse is that a number of organizations either last fall or in the last summer started meeting in person again, and are now back to the virtual environment. And I'm seeing a lot of very grown up, very professional people coming up with a response that's close to, well, I just don't want to, I don't want to do another zoom board meeting. And I'm sure you could appreciate this as a facilitator. Often of these board sessions, I don't really want to do another seven hour zoom session <laughs> either. It's, kind of committing harm to the people who are participating. So engagement's a big issue. And there's lots of strategies that organizations can deal with that. Saw so a great thing we've incorporated moving from Zoom fatigue to Zoom stamina. So building up our strength rather than focusing on the negative and strategies that we can do that. Some really quick ones around boards, limit the size of board packages, get it under 40 pages. Anything over that is they're not reading it. They're not engaging. They're not bringing their best selves. They're scanning it, but they're not really digesting it. If you want thoughtful feedback from your board, give it to them in a format that they can do that within a in a short period of time. Another one is label what you want on an agenda. Very simple, very very tactical. Are we asking the board to decide? Are we asking the board to give advice? Are we asking the board to explore an issue that is external to our organization or potential area where we're going to move in or move start a new program or raise money for? Are we exploring this or are we asking our board members to act as ambassadors? Are we asking them to advocate? Are we asking them to help fundraise? Are we asking them to help evaluate the work that the organization's doing? Be really clear what you're asking your board members to do. And it's like, yeah, okay. The more tangible, specific the ask you can make, the more likely they are to do it, the more likely they are to be engaged, and the more likely they are to say, what else can I do? And that's often what we're looking for when we've got these, these smartest kids in class around our board tables, that we want them acting as champions for organizations. And no longer is it going to be acceptable to play death by PowerPoint and just have board presentations of people reading notes that were provided to them as you go through slides. It's just not going to work. It's no fun and it doesn't work. (laughs) So engagement's a huge issue. And also a number of organizations that sort of went to ground a little bit, that felt like the pandemic wasn't their issue. So in fact, let's just wait and see what happens. They're finding it really hard to get up off the ground. So they went quiet, and now they're trying to reinvigorate their own energy, their own staff, their own donor base, their own stakeholders that they work with, the clients that they serve. They're finding it really difficult to re-energize, and they're needing to find really tangible pivot points for the strategy to, to sort of push off and say, this is our new direction, but this is the direction we're going to follow. And those are organizations that typically have had leadership changes over the course of the pandemic. So CEOs were significant board turnover during during the last couple of years where there really isn't that deep connection to the organization in the before times. So there's a searching that's happening with those organizations. And those tend to be really interesting problems, and you have highly people highly motivated to solve them. it's It's great work from the consults perspective, and I think really critically important for for the clients and their and their mission.
2: I think when you're talking about clarifying the role of the board, uh, I really like just the tip you shared about the agenda. I mm-hmm. think that would be a huge, huge lift in terms of. How do you engage your board in a good way? And I wonder if you, when I'm thinking about the role of the board, are you seeing any issues around the role of the board and the role of the CEO or the executive director of the organization and how those two functions are engaging and blurring of the lines? Or over the years, are you seeing them become more crystal clear? I just love to hear how you're (laughs) seeing that trend. And when you started to talk about board, I just wonder what you were seeing in that space.
3: So I'll say this as a question back to you. When organizations are going really well and things are moving very smoothly, does this issue ever come up? No. <laughs> so, so the role clarity and are, are a result of negative tension or frustration. And so my frame on a lot of those things are typically say, our are, are problems are nothing that success won't fix. So rather than coming up with really rigid job descriptions, that say, this is your sandbox, this is board, this is my sandbox as the management. Sometimes that's necessary as it relates to accepting grants and working with with funders who are saying, we we need to know who's in charge here, or how this is going to be decided. But that's a rare case. And even those tend not to be all that specific. More frequently, we're trying to resolve interpersonal conflicts by putting strict rules in. Mm -hmm. And we think we're depersonalizing it by pretending to be objective, of course, these are real organizations with real people and real dynamics. So, before we start to describe the the job description or the role differentiation, we try to find a couple of one or two, and there's always one or two. Well, at least there's always one thing that we can focus on as a board and management team that we can call a success. Let's do something together. Let's plan this. Next committee meeting, if it's really if things are really bad let's let's break it down to a really small and let's find something to declare success on and talk about why that worked mm-hmm. and have that conversation from a position of strength and success and momentum in the direction we want it to go rather than leading with it from the position of conflict. The conflict is there. We're not pretending it's not. And we find the frame is much more helpful for organizations if it's focused on how did we work together here, Let's find what worked even if it's a tiny thing and build from there rather than the board is really inconsistent. Sometimes they want to be at 30,000 feet. Sometimes they want to be right down on the ground and we can't anticipate as a management team that happens, but it's also really difficult to solve because when you're on the management side, it's really clear when the board's doing that. When you're on the board side of that, it's not clear Mm -hmm. where the level is all the time. If you're picking out colors of napkins Pretty clear to everybody. But for the most part, when it gets really into those operational details, and it goes back to just being clear about what role you're asking the board to play. If you are asking for advice on how to implement a program or scale a program, expand, you label it green, advice on the agenda. We're not making a decision here. We're looking for your advice. The next meeting, we're going to take away your advice. We're going to work on it. We're going to do our homework. We're going to bring it through committee. Or we're going to bring it to the board. And It's going to be blue. It's going to be decide. Mm -hmm. and that's when we'll have those decisions. So being really clear, what we're asking the board to do is a a strategy that management teams can implement right away. Now, the board may not stay in the labels you give these agenda items, and that's a different issue. It's a a way to start that is about facilitating board engagement and constructive conversation about mission and purpose rather than focusing on, this is my job, not your job. If we meet it at the level of the conflict We're talking about the conflict rather than the solution. So let's find a way to talk about the solution first. Right.
2: No, I I like that, and I like just like how you can get at role clarity, responsibilities by again using the agenda as that example is really clear. Again you know, who knows if they'll stay within it, but at least you're clear on the, the kind of advice and guidance and support that you might need from the board. And you're talking about looking at shared success and using that framework, mm-hmm. Doug. And I also recall you talking about organizations that have gone quiet during this mm-hmm. period, and now they're having to sort of reinvigorate and re-engage their board. What kinds of things have they not done? Like, What does it mean to go quiet? Mm-hmm. And when they are thinking about reengaging, are they using those same sorts of approaches that you talked about when we're, we're thinking mm-hmm. about roles and responsibilities of board members versus executive management, for example? Yeah.
3: Well, I think it goes back to the idea that a lot of high-functioning organizations look a lot alike in terms of how they operate. And ones that aren't working very well have their own unique quirks and so some organizations, I mean, it's the, I don't believe you do a lot of work in the performing arts side, and we, we certainly don't either, but what a difficult field to be working, part of the sector to be working in right now, where, where literally you know, the, the houses went dark and they weren't doing what they were valued for. So some have seen their, their patrons step up and fund them very richly to ensure that they survive, which is some good news stories, but a lot of organizations have struggled mightily. Others ones are some social service organizations we've seen in Canada where there was a a really tremendous federal government response to funding issues around homelessness and poverty very early on in the pandemic. And so the organizations themselves didn't, in fact, the opposite. They weren't dealing with scarcity. They were dealing with abundance. And there was a service demand that they needed to meet. And there was grant funding that was available that had never been available before. And so they really focused on uh, delivering at the point and of urgency, the point of need, and the pandemic. And now as the funding has started to recede, as the urgency, in some cases, unfortunately, is are still there, but the fever pitch has dropped a little bit. And how do we run this organization again? What actually are we anymore after we've turned ourselves inside and out to deliver? That's the positive side of organizations that have sort of lost that governance focus on, on their direction. Others really just stopped in their tracks. And I've seen the great resignation and those middle-aged, the middle boomers that were thinking they were going to work for another five or six years that are like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And they've stepped out a few years earlier. Those organizations are looking at replacing leaders, opportunities for reinvigoration, but often leaders who are retiring and leaving under those circumstances aren't leaving the organization at the top of its game. There's been some slowing down. There's been some breaking. There's been the momentum has started to come off. And we're seeing a lot of organizations, for whatever reason, needing to get the momentum going again. And that momentum fundamentally comes down to purpose. What are we here to do? What is the change we seek in the world? How do we do it? And the boards that are really successful, and if you're on the management side, provide this clarity. If you're on the board side, ask for this clarity. How is it that we fund? The work that we do. Understanding the financial levers of the organization is critically important. It doesn't diminish from mission, and it is the only thing that allows mission to advance. If we don't understand how the organization is funded, how programs are funded, what our strategic choices are, sometimes you, it costs a lot of money to raise money to do a certain thing, but we do it because it's important. So saying we're we should cut any fundraising program that doesn't have a return of X or Y means we won't be doing our, some of our most valuable programs. Having that nuanced understanding of the operations and of the revenue streams makes for better board conversations. It makes them far better advisors, and it makes them less likely to try to jump to a decision, which is something that we have seen a lot, in, particularly in the last six months. We're all tired of the ambiguity, right? Like what's going to happen? What's going on? And I think I don't know a single person doing this work that hasn't put themselves on a news diet or a news fast sometime in the last six months. I'm not going to pay attention to what's going on. We're trying to reduce that ambiguity. And boards are doing the same thing. And sometimes that means pushing to a decision before all the information's on the table, before the question's fully formed or the fully refined. So, we want the nuanced understanding of what makes our organization successful, how our organizations operate, not only in general makes for better boards, but it helps reduce that feeling of we've got to do something. Well, what is it? Anything. Let's do something. <laughs> and that's never... When I feel that way, whether it's parenting or, <laughs> or something in my personal life or in my professional life, I know that's not my best self. And we're seeing that more and more in boards because I think everybody is feeling that need to reduce ambiguity where they can. But you know very well that nuance and a light touch is often the art of strategy, and what makes organizations exceptional. It's rarely the big swings that make the biggest difference over a long period of time.
2: Mm-hmm. And so what I'm hearing from you, Doug, is that you know you think about reengaging and re-energizing by being strategic, by being thoughtful, by being deliberate, and really circling back to that thinking of what kind of change are we trying to affect in this world, right? Mm -hmm. So I really like just how you put it very tangibly into that lens, right, of saying, this is what we should be thinking about as you're re-energizing your board, as you're re-engaging your board, how to pull them back in. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked a lot about things that organizations are doing or aren't doing, I'd love it if we could take a step back and think about the sector as a whole. And what do you think we're doing really well as a sector? And what do you wish we did less of?
3: What I think we're doing really well. I have been inspired every day of this pandemic by how different organizations are responding to the call. Nick, I say our sector was built for this. The social profit sector fills in the gaps where government can't or won't. It solves problems that are often too complex for the private sector to step in comfortably or successfully. And so we deal with problems that other sectors simply cannot get at, can untie. And in the face of all of the challenges that have faced the Western world, the entire globe over the last two years, it has been incredibly inspiring to see how organizations have stepped up. And there are particular organizations that have done an exceptional job. And and, you know, you're in this too. You know that those leaders that are doing it. And they're not always the leaders of the biggest organizations with the biggest budgets. It's often organizations that have really specific, narrow mandates. Are they ever leading the most exceptional organizations? And so to me, I think in general as a sector we have stepped up in a way that is better than we we could have hoped better than many would have expected and i hope it continues that way there's two things in terms of what i wish we did better so and they sort of they play off to each other my biggest concern about our sector in general is that the world around us is changing faster than the work within us so the world outside of the social profit sector is in a lot of flux, a lot of change, some good, some bad. Some days it feels like a a lot bad. And within our sector, we're slow and we value the good and the gray, uh, the safe and the, the well trod rather than the new path. And we find a way, as much as we talk about wanting to celebrate failures and fail fast, I don't see it very often. And that space to take risks, that space to deliver differently, to show up differently in pursuit of mission is something I would wish for all leaders in the social profit sector, but I think we really have to find ways to make our own space within our organizations, within the parts of the sector that we work in. And as a part of that, what does it mean to be in service to our missions and a very healthy and most familiar with the Canadian context? I won't speak about the American context in this, but reflecting the diversity of of the community that we serve, of all sectors we have to get this right. And we cannot wait to let others define it for us because we as a sector will not appreciate the laws passed, the guidelines imposed, if we don't do it ourselves. In the individual organizations that are seeking to reflect the communities they serve, there's so much talk about doing it. Just do it. <laughs> Just act. And for obvious reasons, the organization remained nameless, but we were working with an organization that was like, we want to diversify our work. So, we went through all of the stuff. If there was a checklist of problems they had that they had to solve before they could achieve, they would have done like 9 out of 10 on the checklist. They had a lot that they needed to change. So, we, won't, we won't. one of my colleagues was working with them and, and walked them through that. And they decided, you know what? We're not going to do that. They provide good social service. It's a social service organization that provides really good service. And they basically, as a board, decided to opt out of social change. Like, no, we're we're just not going to do it. And it's like, that's not on the menu. And so the hand-wringing that I'm doing right now is not constructive. It is the action that is taken. And I would love to see more of an emphasis on the organizations that have made the right steps the organizations that have just acted, that have that have actually made changes to reflect the communities that they serve, and let's tell those stories of those organizations, the good and the bad, mm-hmm. rather than focusing on the unfortunately high number of organizations that have yet to get their acting gear. Let's focus on the success. Let's follow the path of those who are who've already started walking and get it done. And. I still am hopeful that we will do it. Like I think as a sector, I think we have more opportunity to do that than most, and we have fewer rules on us than others. We have more space to act than the private sector and certainly than the public sector. So do it.
2: Yes, yes. You know, and it's interesting, right, Doug, because what you shared from what we're doing well as a sector. Mm -hmm. And I took away from that like leadership, like leadership throughout the social impact ecosystem, small organizations, large organizations, and then focusing on what we should do better and thinking about one, we need to act more, and then two, we just we need to diversify the way we're working, right? Particularly Mm -hmm. in terms of our governance. And all of those things are in. Ingredients for innovation, right? Like we talked about that space to experiment and the space to take risk. Like you need leadership, you need to act, and you need to have a diverse organization or an organization that is reflective of the community that it serves. So I, I completely agree with everything you shared. And I always say this that we are a sector that loves to convene the meeting to meet to talk, right? So, to have a
3: meeting about the meeting. Yes. Surely there are examples, not surely, there are examples of organizations that have started the work, started the process. Maybe nobody's finished it yet, but like that have started down that path. Let's talk about those stories. Let's talk about those organizations. Let's talk about the, the real challenges that it means to do the right thing. Just because it's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. In fact, that's why we should talk about it because doing the right thing is often hard. Let's lead with our success. Let's lead with the elements of progress. Just like I was saying, if you're fighting when management boards are fighting, let's find where there's agreement and something is working and start there Mm -hmm. rather than often it is very necessary to make the case and identify the problem. Our sector has more freedom to be able to take action toward a solution. And there's not a one size fits all There's We don't know. I certainly don't know what the answer is, but it's not having a meeting about the meeting.
2: Right, no agreed, and there's a there's a reason that we say that we only work with brave organizations, so brave nonprofits and philanthropies because mm-hmm. they you know all of our clients they are ready to act, right they are ready to lead and step into uncomfortable spaces, and those are the kinds of organizations and leaders mm-hmm. that you want to work with. It's challenging the work that we're we're all doing, but we're going into it because we're thinking about that change that we want to to see throughout the world, so yeah. Agreed. Well,
3: and I would imagine a lot of the, knowing some of the people that you've worked with in the past, I would imagine sometimes they're ready to roll and just, and your job is just like, whoa, 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 <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. You, you got some work to do before you're ready to
2: Right, right. maybe pack and, a
3: lunch before you go right. on this track. Let's...
2: <laughs> you want that, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, agreed. You know, we talk a lot about infrastructure. And I'd love to hear how you are helping organizations build out their infrastructure in such a way that they can have this engaged board. They can have this executive leadership that knows how to work closely with their board members and clear on or getting clear on roles and responsibilities and thinking about planning. How do you all think about infrastructure and strengthening organizations so that they are best situated to do their Greatest work
3: you do such great work with organizations that are new or newly forming. I know you do work with other organizations too, but your you, other conversations you've had about working with great idea, great vision. okay, now let's build something around that so that we can get some traction and move it forward. A lot of the clients we work with are built entities that are looking for the traction to move a lot of the infrastructures there. it just hasn't been well maintained sometimes or it's been built up in some areas, but not in others. And so the organization can't move as a cohesive whole. And I wish there was like a snap fingers and here's the answer, but the, it, we spend a lot of time working with organizations on what is it we want to achieve? Not, and often I will walk the long way around the block to avoid having to talk about mission and vision. We talk about value proposition, like what is the value that we contribute to the world Why would someone want to fund us? Why would somebody want to give to us? Why would someone care if we delivered this service? What value does the person we deliver this service for take from the service? Do we understand what we're doing in the world? That value proposition, get that right and spend more time than a lot of people are comfortable with on the value proposition particularly high D decider type people, type A personalities, make sure they're all really frustrated and that you've probably spent almost enough time get that value proposition. And then what are the elements that are going to drive it? So going back to what are the business drivers? Where does our revenue come from? Where does our revenue spend? How do we invest our revenue in our internal infrastructure and our investments to purpose? What are we doing? Where does our money come from? And then how dynamic are those revenue streams? if we doubled our investment in this, would we get twice as much money? If we double our investment, would we get 50% more money? And is that still a good investment? Many organizations can't ask or answer those questions. So it's really about stripping down to the skeleton of the organization, not by getting rid of people, but just like, let's look at how we're operating and get some things out of the gears, or maybe we don't need to do it that way. Or Maybe the organizations where you you come in and you look at them and you go, hey, how about if you just stop doing that? But we do that. But what if you didn't? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We we do that. That's Bob's job. He that's what Bob does over there. That's what but. But what if we didn't do that? And then they they stop that. And they're like, oh, we would never go back and do that. Like and almost immediately, they're willing mm-hmm. to give up and on it. So. Core purpose, value proposition, and then what is it that moves that value proposition? And a lot of organizations and establish, particularly the last couple of years, there's been mission drift or a drift in focus. So mm-hmm. tighten that up. Do less, better. Is it the-
2: Yeah, right. I like that you're pointing out the way you get at infrastructure for longstanding, standing organizations, organizations that have been around for a while. And, you know, they might actually have what we consider to be infrastructure, but actually how strong is it and how can it be stronger? How do we think about strengthening it? And so this reframe that you have about it, like actually it's going right back to your core messaging, Mm -hmm. your core values, your your value proposition, and Mm -hmm. how do you then build infrastructure around that to, to sustain it? And, you know, when you're looking at newer organizations, the challenges are different in terms of actually building building out the thing. But really, at the core of it, it's the same approach, right? Where you're thinking about this core values, the messaging, and the value proposition that you want to offer, and then building infrastructure around it. But in the longer standing organizations, you're probably thinking about how do we shift? How do we tweak? How do we strengthen what is already there? So I I really like just that contrast.
3: One of the first times you and I had a chance to have a conversation, you were talking about infrastructure. And I was, and I was like, what do you mean by infrastructure? What do you mean by infrastructure? <laughs> yeah. and, and I had a different sort of thinking about similar issues in a different way. And I would probably would have said framework. But after that conversation with you, I always say infrastructure now. Mm-hmm. Because framework is something that's kind of loose and it might be made out of paper clips or pop sti- <laughs> popsicle sticks. And it implies that what we're doing is theoretical. Mm -hmm. that the work of our organizations is theoretical. And at the level of strategic planning and mission, vision, value proposition, it is. Going back to that Tuesday morning at 1038, okay, what are we going to do to actually move towards Mm -hmm. this agreed upon future? You need real investments. You need infrastructure. <laughs> you need to find the bottom of the pool to push off of. You need to, that pathway that's gonna take you forward. And infrastructure is a way of really valuing the investments required to make social profit organizations successful. I don't always attribute it to you, but I, I often use that
2: idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh I really like that, Doug, because when you're you're saying you're speaking my language like one definitely yes, infrastructure let's let's start using that word and that framing, but it's also when you said like infrastructure is how you sustain the investments that are being made in these organizations, and that gets us into like the kind of funding that organizations receive, right? This is why we're pushing for general support funding as opposed to like very discrete project support that doesn't really take into consideration the fact that. This organization has to build out its infrastructure in order to do those same projects and work. So, I, mm-hmm. I like that framing about it, even if you're not you know, giving credit all the time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the other part, you know, in, in a lot of private sector business or certainly in the startup culture where you're investing in management teams, you're investing in people. And that's glorified and celebrated as you're investing in the people. Who cares what the product is? We're investing in this team we do that in a lot of ways in in our slightly differently but it's the, it's the investment in those causes that are most urgent sometimes the ones that are most on the front page of the paper you know top of mind for whatever reason but making those deep investments to sustain over the long term in those causes that matter the most it's not hard as a concept, but we haven't found it. And if you're if you found the team, if you found the leadership, the board, the culture, the, the infrastructure in an organization and a mission you care about, giving unrestricted grants from my perspective should be what funders are pushing for. Okay. I want to invest in these smartest kids in the class. I want to give them the the, the fuel that they need to drive this mission forward, to execute against purpose in a way. Because if, if we knew the answer to how to solve some of these intractable issues that so many of our organizations are working on, they would already be solved. If we knew the formula, the magic sauce, the, if we had a magic wand, if funders had a magic wand, they wouldn't need the organizations. They'd do it themselves. And so, invest in the people. And that investment in the people, to me, comes right back to that those unrestricted grants. So I I have applauded out loud at some of the stuff that you've put out over the last couple of years on that (laughs) front. Yes. Because if you care about the cause, the people that work in this all the time and have dedicated their lives to do this work are probably going to have some pretty good ideas about doing things slightly differently to get something done.
2: Yeah. No, agreed. I, I think we're definitely on the same page because I think about what if you could provide funding that showed up as an investment in the organization such that people within the organization had space to be creative, mm-hmm. space to take risk because they weren't just being funded project by project, they were being funded invested in, right? And so that comes in the form of actual cash going into the organization, but also extra visibility, additional support and resources coming from funders and just building on that relationship like what could that look like and how much stronger could the social impact ecosystem become, right when we start to reframe support in terms of This is general support. We are investing in your organization and your work.
3: How much harder do you think people work when they've got an investment in their purpose and in their organization, rather than I want you to do adjacent work to your mission, following my rules? Sometimes we need, that's always going to be a part of the sector to some extent. But if you want to really energize an organization, significant investment into the organization as a whole, I think you're going to get more mission delivery out of it than being really prescriptive.
2: Agreed. Doug, I think I could literally keep talking to you for hours <laughs> about this because this conversation is at the right level, right? So we're talking, you know, you started off talking about your work this way, like thinking about blue sky and envisioning what could be, but then also thinking about how do we practically work through from that blue sky picture to where we're actually implementing it, right? And what does it look like in terms of the go forward? And so I feel like this conversation has been a lot of that, like thinking about what could we do within the sector and then how do we actually get there? So I think that, again, your responses, your insights have been so invaluable. And oh. I would love to ask you a question that okay. I ask all of our guests to help us continue to build knowledge through books and people we should learn from, or about to close us mm-hmm. out. What book do you think we should read next, or what artists do you think we should be paying attention to?
3: Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to put in my or in the water for some Canadian content for your hey. listeners. So one of my favorite authors is a Canadian historian. Her name's Margaret Macmillan. And the book that she's most famous for is Paris 1919. So it, it was one of the, the first looks at leveling out everyone who came to the Paris Peace Conference at the end of World War One, So rather than just looking at the superpowers and how they've dealt with it, it was looking at every delegation that came. And there were like hundreds of delegations that came at the end of the First World War. And she describes the complexity of putting understanding the world as it was after it had been shaken up. And I think that's kind of where we are now. I mean, the, the politics, there's some highly problematic views of different parts of the world that happened in 1919. But that idea that the world had a major inflection point, and now we as leaders, as citizens in this world, need to come up with a way of making sense of it, a new way of making sense of it. I think Margaret McMillan uses history in, in an incredible way to help leaders and just people understand their role in making sense out of complexity and ambiguity.
2: I love that. I'm going to make sure that we put that in our show notes so that our listeners can have access to that as well. And Doug, seriously, thank you so much for your your time today and for your amazing insights. I think this conversation has really been tremendous. And you've shared real knowledge that leaders can practically use in their own organizations to help them build bravely. And that's what it's all about. So thank you again for joining us today.
3: Thank you very much for
0: having me.
1: As we wrap up this conversation, we wanted to share more about Buildup Advisory Group, a member of the Buildup Companies. Buildup Advisory Group specializes in infrastructure design, helping philanthropists, philanthropies, and nonprofit organizations build their infrastructure. We offer our clients a unique combination of unparalleled technical, operational, and governance expertise, international grant-making and giving experience, as well as cross- and intra-border-based leadership. We structure funding awards and complex grant-making solutions and help our clients successfully navigate some of the world's most difficult regulatory environments. If you would like to explore how Buildup Advisory Group can address you or your project's specific needs, you can find the link to schedule a discovery call in the show notes.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Nonprofit Buildup. To access the show notes, additional resources, and information on how you can work with us, please visit our website at buildupadvisory.com. We invite you to listen again next week as we share another episode about scaling impact by building infrastructure and capacity in the nonprofit sector. Keep building bravely.